Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Catechism. At BRCC, we believe that our catechism is a useful tool to help us understand and grow in our faith. But why? Find out in our series, Catechism. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at the gift of God's Word. That's why that prayer had come to mind, and I was looking it up the, the other day. What a gift God has given us in His Word. And so we're going to be looking actually at two passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and then 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. Hear the living word of God. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, when I was a young man, I used to love watching college basketball. And at the time, uh, there was a famous coach, John Wooden. Um, he was actually referred to as the, the wizard. Uh, he coached out at UCLA. And I watched a documentary a few years ago about Coach Wooden. And because he was so successful, he got all of the greatest high school basketball players wanted to come play for Coach Wooden. And one of them was commenting, I think it was Bill Walton, if I remember correctly, that when they first met the coach, they were expecting him to go into these secrets of basketball. And instead, he told them, gentlemen, we begin with how to tie your shoes. And they looked, and the guy was like, I'm one of the greatest high school basketball players in the country. Why would he be starting here? And they said, Wooden began with the most basic elements and relentlessly taught them the basics. Now, one might laugh and say, well, why would you do that? But the effects couldn't be argued with. In 12 years, his team has won the national championship 10 times. In one stretch, they won for seven years in a row. And I can remember watching a game when they had not lost, I think it was 84, 85 games in a row, they had not lost. And they finally lost the game. Nobody could believe they even lost. There was no one as successful as Coach Wooden and UCLA. But he didn't do that by all kinds of secretive things. It was rigorously focusing on the basics. I bring that up because it's, it's important for the church to regularly fo focus on the most important things in our faith. Sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, I, I know this, I know this, but we have to go back to the basics. That's one of the reasons that we actually wrote what is known as a catechism. It's a word we don't use a whole lot, but a catechism is the basic instruction and the basic doctrines of the faith. It's a question and answer format. And we created one years ago, and <coughs> this week I'm going to 
cover one of the questions we did, which is question 45. And it's actually our, our theme for today. And the question is, what guide has God given us to, so that we may grow in our faith and learn how to live in a way that pleases him? In this section, we're talking about sanctification, how we grow to be more like Jesus. And the answer to that is God has given us his word, the Bible, to feed us, guide us, point us to Christ, and show us how to live in a manner that is pleasing to him and for our good. So this morning, I want to unpack this basic idea. Each one of those words is kind of carefully chosen. We spent, I spent a long time writing that, and the elders spent a long time going over it, and we were also looking back at, at some historic catechisms. But I want to use this to kind of unpack from these scriptures this morning why God's Word is such a gift to us and why it's imperative that, kind of like Coach Wooden saying, let's go back to the, the most basic elements, why it's important for us to remind ourselves of this. So let's talk about the gift of God's Word to His holy people. The first thing that we have to say when we say that God's Word, we are referring uh, here to uh, the Bible. Now, it is true that in the Scripture, the Word of God supremely is our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, the eternal Son of God. But also, the Bible is referred to as God's Word, the written Word of God. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, why we believe that uh, in After Hours this week. So you can tune into that on Tuesday, the, the video that you can get a link from on our website or our Facebook page. But just briefly, we've got this statement that God has given us his word, the Bible. Why are we saying the Bible is the word of God? There are those who somewhat uh, disagree with that and want to you know, argue with that, but the scripture is really clear about it. If you notice in both of our texts, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, if you remember, Jesus is in the wilderness and is being tempted by the devil. And Jesus, the eternal son of God, in his... Uh, temptation by the devil, the way he rebukes him and the authority that he refers to is the written scripture. Notice he says in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. I'll unpack that a little bit more in a couple of moments. But notice, even Jesus says, look, there is an authority and the authority is the written scripture. In fact, as we've studied Mark's gospel, we've seen a lot of Jesus' controversy with the Pharisees is over the fact that the Pharisees had all of these extra traditions that they had added in, and Jesus rigorously keeps going back to the written Scripture. Notice the Apostle Paul brings up the same thing in 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, as the NIV translates it, all Scripture is God-breathed. Some translations say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Um, but the idea, actually I like the NIV translation of the particular word. Paul took two words and kind of put them together, the, the word for spirit and the word for God. And so it's God-spirited, God-breathed. The, the idea that Paul is getting at and that Peter also brings up is that God spoke through human beings. It's like when we exhale. We, we put out, God exhaled as it were through human beings and what he exhaled is what we have in the scripture, the written word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter brings it up and puts it this way. 
Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The idea here is, uh, that phrase carried along by the Holy Spirit is a phrase that's even used for like how the wind would go and sailboats would kind of have to go with the wind. They would do that. God is speaking. He's doing it through people. It's actually their words that are coming out, but behind it, in it, through it, filling it, working in it every way was the Spirit of God. And so it's imperative when we talk about our Bible, the Bible is not man's thoughts about God and the world, but rather it is God's word written to teach us about God, about ourselves, and about the world. And it is essential we understand the difference between that. If it were up to us to define who God is, we would never get it right. We need God to reveal who he is, and he's done that in the written word of God in the scripture. So that's the first point. Second point, God's word is a gift to us, not only because he's given us his word, but secondly, because the Bible is food for my soul. Notice in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus, as you remember, he's been out in the wilderness and he's been fasting for 40 days. And so what was the first temptation that the devil tried to get him on? Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. You need food. Okay, so Jesus didn't just randomly pick a text. In response to that, Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is making a point here that just as our body needs physical food, an even deeper and more important reality is that our soul needs spiritual food. Our soul is sustained. Our spiritual life and health is sustained by spiritual food, which is primarily the Word of God. So when Jesus picks this out, it's not just a random text. It's very, very appropriate because I mentioned this text is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. This is Moses teaching the wilderness generation as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he's recounting the history of Israel. And what he's talking about here is he's saying, look, you were in the wilderness where there was no food. How did they eat every day? Manna came down, and they went and collected the manna. And Jesus says, that's not a random thing. You survived because you ate manna, but God is the one who provided the manna, and he did that because he was teaching you something. What he was teaching you is you don't live by bread alone, but rather by the word of God. God spoke, and there was manna. God has spoken and put it in the scripture, and that is how we are fed. So Moses told the wilderness generation, look, the reason for doing this is if you really want to understand it, we always kind of get things backwards. We think the physical is real and the spiritual is kind of a shadow of that. That's backwards. The spiritual is real. The physical is a shadow of that. It, the, the spiritual existed first and then the physical, which is real, but the physical is made to line up with the spiritual. So your body needs food. And it absolutely does. But why is that? Because prior to that, the spiritual reality is you needed God's word. 
nothing would have been created, nothing would be sustained, nothing would exist apart from God's word, his ongoing word. And so the Lord told the wilderness generation that learn from this because prior to the fact that you need physical food is the reality that you need the spiritual food of my word. It's also interesting because, as you remember, the manna came down every day except for the Sabbath. And how long was the manna good for? One day. Remember, even a few of them, the Lord said, don't try and keep it to tomorrow. But a few of them, being disobedient to God's word as we often are, they said, well, I know better than God. I'll keep some till tomorrow. And then they woke up and it was full of maggots and it was nasty. And God said, no, every day I give you word and how often do you have to go out and collect that manna? Every day. There's a lesson there for you and I. How often do I need to feed upon God's word? Every day. What happens if I try to live today off of yesterday's word? Yes, maggots. That's what it is, okay? And again, it's because that was the prior truth. You need the word of God and I need the word of God day by day by day. A lot of Christians are trying to, I'm trying to live off of what I read or heard or learned before. You'll never outgrow needing daily the word of God. So to survive and thrive spiritually, I have to feed upon God's word every day, just like the Israelites fed upon manna in the wilderness. So that's the second reason. God has given us the gift of his word in the Bible. Number two, the Bible is God's mean of feeding our souls. Number three, the Bible is guidance for my life, showing me truth and error, right and wrong. Notice what Paul says after he has said that the Bible is in fact God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And he's kind of building this off, actually. Jesus, in his final high priestly prayer in Gethsemane, <coughs> excuse me, in John 17, Jesus says this, sanctify them, okay, set them apart, make them holy, sanctify them, how? By the truth, your word is truth. So Jesus leaves it, look, it's the truth that's going to transform and change us, but where do we find the truth? In the word of God. Jesus himself points that out to us. So the Bible is God's revelation of truth. The Bible shows us truth and error, right and wrong, so that I can think and act properly. It is God's guidance to me. Now this is important because how many different voices do we have surrounding us today? Right? At no other time in human history, in most of human history, if you were a human being, you, you only had access to a small amount of whatever was being written, spoken, or thought. If it was being spoken by a local community, then you might hear, but things that were going on. You know, if, if you lived in Israel in 400 BC, you were not learning what Socrates was saying, okay, or, or in 350 BC. You weren't learning, because word didn't travel that fast. But today, how fast do things travel? Immediately. Now, there's a lot of blessing in that, but there's also the difficulty that what we have today is a seemingly infinite number of voices, and these voices have all of their truths, okay? It's become a popular phrase in recent years, my truth, and you have your truth, 
And here's the truth. That's insane. There is no such thing. There is the truth. There's not my truth and your truth. Either one of us is wrong or both of us are wrong, but we can't both be speaking and, and we've got our own truth. We need God to reveal to us the actual truth, and that's exactly what the Bible does. It cuts through the cacophony of all the voices out there, and it says, this is the truth. And it is truth both intellectually and morally. It teaches me what is right and correct and truth from error. It also teaches me right from wrong. And that is a, a struggle we even have in our culture. If you've noticed, right now we've had another thing. When, when Hamas invaded Israel, okay, and there were horrific accidents, there are people who struggle because they want to say there is no such thing as right and wrong. And it's like if you can't look at certain actions and say that's evil, then you've actually become a fool, Okay? And, and the same thing is going to be true. You know, we don't want to watch Palestinian civilians suffer. There is right and wrong, truth and error, good and evil. And the Scripture reveals directly, clearly what those things are for us. Now, this is why we have to, in that prayer that I prayed from the Book of Common Prayer, read and inwardly digest God's Word. And we need to do that every single day. But we also need to come together as a community and do that. It's why our worship has to be centered upon the clear proclamation of the Word. There's the individual feeding upon the Word, the individual uh, uh, thing of, of God's Word opening up to me to show me truth. But then there is in the public worship of God the clear proclamation of the Word. And there are many that are Again, today, even evangelicals kind of discounting this. But we need to understand, no, the Scripture is clear that we need this specific thing. The Apostle Paul and Timothy, this is just a couple of verses later where he's been saying the Scripture's been given, starting in chapter 4, verse 2. He says this, Timothy, preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now this is, this is not Paul being pessimistic. He's saying we all have a tendency to want to do that. And that, that is that we don't want to hear the truth. I don't want to be rebuked. I don't want to be corrected, nor do you. None of us like that. But what we need is the Word of God to speak to that. And Paul says, Timothy, this is why you've been given the responsibility. Notice here, preach the Word. Proclaim the Word. You are an authorized uh, spokesman like the, the people that the emperor would send out to read his decree. Timothy, that's what you're called to do. Take the word of God and speak it. And notice what he, what he specifically says, because people are drawn to things that scratch their itching ears. People are drawn to speculative conspiracy theories, uh, to words that will justify our sin. Here's the antidote to that, Timothy. You have to 
publicly proclaim in a powerful, spirit-anointed way, you have to proclaim the Word of God. You have to teach the Word of God. And notice he says, this is going to require careful, consistent, patient instruction in all the Word of God. It's imperative that we have this. It is so important. Please hear me. You know, we live in a mobile age, so I constantly am saying these things. You may pick up and move to a different area in the future. Never be part of a congregation where there is not the clear, consistent, public, careful teaching of the Word of God. I don't care what else they have. They may have the hottest worship band anybody's ever heard of. They may have the greatest coffee and food beforehand. There may be all the people that are your age and everything is wonderful. If they don't have the clear proclamation of the Word of God, they have nothing. You can have all of that other stuff. Because see, I can do all of that, be surrounded by all the things I like, and we can be encouraging each other right down the path to hell. What I need is the Word of God. It is essential. And, and let me be clear, it is really, really important, just as a, as a sideline, and I'll move on. Please understand, it's not important what I think. It's important what the Word of God says. And so the, the teaching needs to be not all kinds of stories about things I've done and things I think. It needs to be unpacking Scripture helping us to understand the Word of God. The power is in the Word of God. The power is not in me shouting. The power is not in, in me telling. The power is in the Word of God itself. Brothers and sisters, we need to believe that. We need to cling to that. That needs to mold and shape the way we practice our public worship together and the way that we are then living out our private lives. So important. Please, whatever we do, always have the public proclamation of the word of God. Next point. The Bible is also guidance for my life, showing me God's will. One of the perennial things that people have, you know, how do I know the will of God? The biblical answer is really clear. Open the scripture. That's how you know the will of God. Deuteronomy 29, so this is later in Moses' sermon to Israel that day. He says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. We oftentimes think of the, the will of God. I want to know, does God want me to buy this car or that car? The Bible says, use your brain, study, and figure that out. The will of God is about what he's shown us in the scripture. It's about pay your bills, work hard, be a good neighbor, be faithful to, in your relationships to people. That is the will of God. I always want to focus on the secret things, but notice what Moses told The secret things belong to who? The Lord. They're secret. The things that God says we need, what has he done? He has revealed them to us so that we can obey. Notice how, what Moses says here. They're secret things, and those belong to the Lord, and he's not showing them to you and me. The things that we need to know, he has shown us, and he has shown us 
in the Word of God. So discerning and following God's will is not a matter of seeking guidance in the secret things, but rather understanding and applying God's revealed will as given in the Scripture. Now, does God ever kind of, you know, I'm conscious that it seems like the Lord is guiding me in a particular decision. Yes, that does happen. But let me be clear, any subjective guidance beyond the Scripture has to be always built upon tested by and submitted to God's revealed will in the scripture. I've had Christians telling me they were sure the Lord was leading them to do something that directly violated the scripture. Uh, No, he's not. That would be called my own sinful will. And it's amazing how I can become convinced of what the Lord is calling me to do when it lines up with my sinful desires. The will of God is revealed to us in the scripture. And so reading and studying and meditating upon the Bible, upon God's word, is the building blocks for the spirit to speak in any other way in my life. If you would like to have a sense that that the Lord is guiding you as you're going through your daily life, then dig into the scripture. That's giving the fuel for that to happen. If you want to know God's will for your life, dig in the scripture and begin to apply what it says. That is God's will. Then the uh, next thing, which is next last, is the Bible points me to Jesus, which is my greatest need. Okay? You know, we'd said that God's given the Bible, his word, the Bible, to feed us, to guide us. Um, And here we're told that it points us to Jesus. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, Timothy, Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He has said that you learned from your grandmother and your mother the truth. And here's what you learned. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. And what is it that the Scriptures teach me, according to Paul? To make me wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What is the central subject of the Bible? Jesus. We, we want to look for all kinds of other things What we need to be looking for is, in fact, Jesus Christ. Because the central need of all humans and the greatest wisdom you are ever going to possess is to know Jesus Christ and to find salvation in him. I don't care if you have plumbed the depths of all the philosophical movements that have ever happened in human history if you don't know that you have a need for Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, you're not wise. And if you are even illiterate, but you know that you need Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, you're actually wise. That is what wisdom is is. And so it's imperative that we do this. And the more we feed upon God's word, the more we come to know Jesus. And, and hear me, not knowing about him. Some people want to say, well, you know, you're, you're learning the Bible, and so you're learning about him. I want to know. No, when you dig into God's word, you are learning Christ. You, you are meeting and knowing Jesus Christ by digging into the word. Because it's not a word that is somebody's thoughts about God. It is God's word to us. Hear me, brothers and sisters, when when Greg stood up this morning and read to us at the end of our singing, that is God's word. When I read these texts, that 
is the word of God. If I want to know my wife, then we have conversation. And I don't say, well, I know about what she said. No, when she speaks, she's telling me what she thinks, what she wants, what is there, and I am learning from that. It's the same way God speaks to us. We are knowing and experiencing him in the deepest way a human being can know and experience God is through the scripture. And then finally, the last thing why God's word is a gift is because the Bible helps me grow in holiness, becoming more like Jesus. We said that the scripture points us to Christ, but what it's doing is, who's my model for what it means to be human? Jesus. Because there have only ever been three humans who for any length of time were not humans distorted by sin. That was Adam and Eve prior to the fall, and then Jesus after the fall, and he stayed perfect. They botched it, of course. That means if I want to know what it means to be human, to be authentically human, I look to Jesus Christ. And so notice again in verses 16 and 17, he says, Scriptures, God breathing is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible teaches me this is holiness and this is sin. The Bible rebukes me when I reject holiness and embrace sin. Uh, the, the scripture corrects me so that I can return to God's way, and then it trains me and equips me so that I can stay in that way. So, and please remember as we've talked throughout here, it's not just that the Bible's doing this intellectually. You know, I, I've been reading some of the Socratic dialogues over the last year or two. And enjoy some of it. And, you know, there's some, some intellectually stimulating things there. But this is not just about intellectual stimulation. This is that the Bible actually impresses upon me. It actually feeds me. It strengthens me. It equips me so that I can become more like Jesus. It's not just saying, this is what Jesus is like. Hope it works out well for you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God is actually equipping me to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, and to keep forming and fashioning me into his likeness. And, and then the last phrase that we put in the catechism is to learn to do this, what is pleasing to God and for my good. And please hear, those are actually one thing. What is pleasing to God is for my good good. And no matter how pleasurable it might be in the short term, what I'm thinking is for my good. If it is not pleasing to God, it's not for my good. It's destruction. Poison may taste good in your mouth, but it's deadly. And so the scripture is pointing us to true holiness, which is pleasing to God and for my good. And that's because I was made a particular type of being. The particular type of being that I am made is one in God's image. And so I only flourish when I have my thoughts, my desires, my character, my actions line up with God. There's an old analogy. You see, it's not freedom for a fish to flop onto the bank. What happens when a fish flops out of the water and onto the bank and says, I'm free? Yeah, well, you're going to die in that freedom because you're not the sort of being who is meant to live on the land. You're the sort of being who is meant to live in the water. Conversely, what happens if you and I decide to dive into the water and live under there? 
We're going to die because we're not the sort of creature who has gills and breathes water. You and I are the kind of creatures who are made to be like God. And therefore, any supposed freedom that is not actually in line with who God is and the way he has made me is not freedom, it's bondage. And if it's not pleasing to him, it's not going to be for my good. And this ties all these ideas together because see, there's all kinds of voices out there telling me, be authentic, be who you are, whatever desire you have. That, that's abject foolishness. What if my desires are wrong? What if they're destructive? What if they're going to harm everything around me and my own soul? See, only the Word of God can show me what that is. And the good news is, by the Holy Spirit, it's then forming and fashioning and shaping. And notice, what we're talking about here is not even just my outward actions. It's saying, I want my character to be like God. I want my, my actions to be like God. But even my inward desires and thoughts, I want to line up with who God is. Because if my thoughts and desires are oriented away from God, what's going to happen to my actions? It's eventually going to be oriented away from God. And then if my actions are consistently walking away from God, what happens to my character? It's a, there's no separation. One leads to the other. So we need the Word of God to get down to the deepest level. And just real briefly before we go to applying the Word, you know, I'll even say, I, I remember reading years ago uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, where he was talking about how much of our actual actions are driven by subconscious thoughts that we're not even aware of. And my takeaway when I read that and heard, and they had all of these experiments that they've done that show this, that people would say one thing, but they were actually being driven by what was going on in their subconscious. And I thought, that's exactly why God says, meditate upon my word how often? Day and night. Because I don't just need a, a little bit on the surface. I need the word of God to sink down to the places I'm not even aware of. So that the deeper you go, the more the word of God has penetrated, has marinated down into my soul. So that that's what comes out. That's what we need. Now, how do we apply this? You know, again, given that, you know, God's given us his word, the Bible, to feed us to guide us, to point us to Christ, and show us how to live in a manner that's pleasing to him and for our good. What does that mean? How do I apply it? Number one thing I want to say today is just a question. Do I recognize the great gift I've been given in the Bible? Do you know that? Does that, does that resonate within your heart and mind? Brothers and sisters, what a gift we have been given in the word of God. God. It is, it is a treasure. The apostle Peter in his second epistle, his second letter, said that God has given uh, us everything we need for life and godliness through his glory and goodness. And it's that glory and goodness that have given us, he says specifically, the promises that have come forth from God. That's what God has given us. Brothers and sisters, we have access to those from the Bible. So the first thing in applying the word is, am I just consistently, consciously aware of what a gift I've been given? That is, 
That is what we need and should have. We, we should be taking advantage of this great gift, both in personal time and word, and also in our corporate worship. It should be, that, that's a sign of health. When, when I was 16 and became a believer, the first most noticeable thing that happened in my life is I suddenly had this desire to read God's word. Now, why? I mean, I was a 16-year-old. It's not like, you know, hey, let's just find a couple thousand-year-old book and start reading it. I had a hunger. My, my parents were wondering what had gone on with me because if you went into my room, I had all these Bibles lined up and I was toting a Bible around everywhere. In fact, I got, I was, I was high and drunk on a Friday. I got saved on a Sunday and walked into school on Monday with a Bible in my hand. And my friends thought I'd gotten a hold of a bad bag of weed or something, right? But no, all of a sudden I knew I need the Word of God. I'm living in Georgia in the Bible Belt. I'm surrounded by all this stuff. But all of a sudden I realized, no, this isn't an old book. It's not just some kind of a cultural artifact. This is God's word to me. And I don't have to go and find, you know, go through some mystical experience or climb to the top of a mountain. I can just open the Bible and he speaks to me. That is the gift that he's given to every one of us. And many Christians today and throughout history, they don't have access to that. They don't have, I mean, how many Bibles do we have? How many versions do I have right here on my phone? Yesterday, I was, I was driving to go do some mentoring with young kids at the elementary school, and I'm just listening to the Scripture as I drive down the road. What a gift. Do I recognize that? Brothers and sisters, never take for granted the gift that you've been given. Second point. How can I grow in my intake of God's word? Because there's one thing to say it's a great gift, but it's a gift that is meant to be used. It's a gift that is meant to be woven into my life. So it's only a great gift if I actually spend time in it. So I, we listed these areas. This is what I you know, went through in the teaching that is there listed in our catechism. That I can receive the word as food for my soul, I can receive the word as guidance into truth and error, right and wrong. I can receive the word as guidance for God's will in my life. I receive the word to point me to Jesus each day, and I receive the word to grow in holiness. Now, that's five different areas, but here's the question that we want to ask the Holy Spirit right now. Which of those five areas do I need to focus upon right now? Because in different seasons of life, it could be any one of these areas. It will be any one of these areas. If you and I are being healthy over time, I'm going to need to focus on different areas and different aspects of the Word of God. So I want us to think and be asking the Spirit of God to, think, to speak to us and to apply the Word to us right now. If I had to pick one of those five, which one needs to be the focus for me? Because they're going to lead to a different way of receiving. When I'm studying, you know, when I'm taking the word in as food for my soul, that's a little different than when I'm working through a moral conundrum and I'm trying to study God's word to understand truth from error. It's two different ways, two different things. So which one is my greatest need? And then we're going to ask from that based on which one's my greatest need, 
which method of receiving the word is going to be most helpful for me to grow in that area? In other words, there is reading large chunks of Scripture. And that may be good as food for my soul, but it's not necessarily good for me studying to understand specifically right from wrong or some uh, you know, uh, deep truth to understand the, the teaching of Scripture. For that, it might be meditating on particular verses or small passages. There are times where I've sat down and like read an entire gospel in one sitting. And then there are times where for a week or two, I meditate on just one verse or one paragraph. Day after day after day. Both of those are wonderful. It just depends on what God is trying to work in my life. Sometimes it's about studying a particular topic, meditating, and then memorizing. When, when I was uh, younger, I, I had a bit of an anger problem. Those of you who've known me for a while aren't surprised by that, but I, I had a bit of an anger problem, and sometimes that would lead my mouth into places it shouldn't go. So I had to study and, and work on, Lord, what do you teach me about the wrath of man? And what do you teach me about controlling my tongue? And that was a different thing. I, that, that wasn't resolved by just reading through the whole New Testament in the morning. That was me finding and studying certain verses and meditating and memorizing them. So we're asking the Lord, let's ask the Spirit to renew our hunger for the Word and to empower us to grow in whichever area it is that He is speaking to you, whichever area He is working. And so as we're going to come to the Lord's table in a moment, we're going to be asking. I want us to, to let the Spirit speak and say, Lord, which area are you trying to renew within me? Because brothers and sisters, you've been given a treasure and so have I. And it is everything you need for life and godliness. And that's what the Lord is wanting to work in us. Now we're going to come to the Lord's table because at the heart of worship is the fact that God is a God who meets us by word and sacrament. That includes both water baptism at the beginning of our Christian life and then the Lord's table week by week by week as we come together. And so the Lord's spoken to us by his word today, word that we have sung, word that we have prayed, and word that we've now opened up and studied together, but he also wants uh, to speak and minister to us as we come to the table. We fed upon the word of God, now we're going to feed upon the table of God and what he has done. And I want to encourage you, come and be strengthened by God. This is not, and, and it never is, this is not about oh, geez, I haven't been studying the Bible enough, now I feel guilty. No, it is a gift that God has given to you. You don't have to study the Bible. You get to open God's Word. I don't, if you tell me, Brett, you're gonna go away with Linda, and it's for a couple days it's just you and Linda. It's like, oh, I've gotta go spend time with my wife. No, throw me in that briar patch. I, time with her is a gift. How much more that God wants to speak to you. Blazing universes, billions of people, he wants to speak to you and to me. So let's receive from him. I remind you that you do not have to be a member of our congregation to participate. You just have to be a believer. You have to trust 
Again, what the central focus of Scripture is our need for Jesus Christ. In taking this bread and this cup, we are stating and professing that I am a sinner in need of grace, and my only hope of salvation is the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, you are welcome to this table with us. If you don't believe that, you should let it pass because taking it is that, and then please see me right afterwards so we can open the scripture together to talk about that. Brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to go ahead and pass out the elements. Make sure to grab the two cups that are together and then hold it and ask the Spirit to reveal to you how he wants to be deepening you in the word this week. Brothers and sisters, is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Father, Adam heard your voice, and yet he disobeyed your word. And his sin in rejecting and disobeying your word brought misery, ruin, and death to all creation. But your son Jesus is the second Adam, who being in very nature God, humbly submitted to your word and your will, and his obedience has brought joy, renewal, and life to everyone who believes in him. Lord, we are your people. Those who trust in Jesus alone for salvation and as we have received the bread and food of your word, so now we receive bread, food of your holy table, which is food for our soul. Thank you, Lord. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Friends, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. Lord, though you were obedient every moment to the Father's will, your blood was shed so that our debt might be paid and we might be set free. So we give you thanks for this cup and we profess that our only hope of salvation is not in our obedience, but in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. And now let's stand together and we'll be crying out for the Holy Spirit to empower us in all of this that we have uh, heard from him today. I encourage you to cry out with me. Lord, this day we have offered worship to you in prayer and song and we have received the food of your word and your table.
feeding our soul. And we ask now that the Holy Spirit, who spoke through the holy men of old to give us the word of God, we ask that he would come right now and fill us anew. Lord, give us a hunger for your word this week, for we do not live by bread alone. Give us a mind to understand your word this week, for we are dependent upon you to enlighten us. Lord, give us a heart to obey this week, for we do not only want to be hearers of the word, thus deceiving ourselves, we want to be those who hear and obey. Grant us all of this, we pray, so that we might extend your word and your blessing to our families, to our friends, and throughout this region. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. And God's people say, Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.